Welcome. You are listening to Sermon Audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. There are a lot of things that we, uh, that we accept almost like as gospel truth, and we say it all the time, but when you look at the Bible, the Bible really doesn't say some of those things. So we're going to focus upon some of those topics <clears throat> over the next few Sundays. Uh, the analogy we've been making by looking at the, uh, uh, the plagues in Egypt uh, we've been asking ourselves if, if we've been listening to God. The reason uh, those plagues continued to get worse and occur was that Pharaoh refused to hear the message of God. Uh, God sent Moses in and told him to tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And because he kept saying no and kept being obstinate and kept refusing uh, to let them go, all these plagues were taking place. And the analogy for us is this, if we continue to refuse to listen to God ourselves, we may self-impose some situations on our lives uh, that can be similar, not the exact same thing, but similar uh, to the things that we see happen in these plagues. Uh, when we talked about the, the water turning to blood, I asked you if you were, you were spiritually thirsty uh, on that Sunday. Uh, when we uh, talked about the frogs being all over the place, uh, uh, we, we talked about how we... Uh, can allow things to be like frogs just all over us, the things in our guilt from the past and, and such things. Uh, so we're at the, at the tenth plague. There have been all kinds of plagues that have taken place. Uh, they, the, the sand turned into gnats. Uh, there were flies that were all over the place. Uh, their livestock died, which was an attack against their, uh, their wealth. Uh, and then they had an attack against their health because boils broke out upon them and their animals. Uh, and, and then beyond that, you had uh, these great storms uh, taking place, uh, hail falling upon the uh, nation of Egypt like that had never happened before. And then you had locusts come into the land. Last week, there was darkness. Uh, that hit the land for three days, total darkness, that it couldn't move, they, they couldn't even see anything uh, because it was so thick, uh, the Bible teaches us. <clears throat> this week, uh, it culminates with a really, really tragic, terrible plague, and, and that is that the firstborn in all of Egypt is going to die. Uh, the firstborn in Pharaoh's house, the firstborn uh, all the way down to someone that would be considered a, a very poor person in, in Egypt. So it uh, affected the rich, it affected the very poor, uh, it uh, even affected the, the firstborn of the cattle that we're going to see as we uh, go through the, the message today. Uh, and what I want you to do is we go through this, and there's no way I can read all the verses because you see it's Exodus 11, uh, 1 through 12, 33. Uh, you will be thankful I'm not doing an exposition on all those verses uh, this morning. <laughs> but I will go and pull out some uh, important components and highlights uh, where we can learn some, uh, I think, some urgent lessons maybe uh, for our lives. Uh, but as, as we think about this last plague, and we're asking ourselves about, are we listening to God? Ask yourself this question. Will you let your refusal to hear God cause death? Will you allow your refusal to hear God cause death? Now, I want you to apply that in two ways. And it kind of depends on where you are in your relationship to God is how you apply this. Uh, if, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, and, and you continue and you continue and you continue to refuse to listen to God, to refuse to listen to the gospel, then you can cause yourself eternal spiritual death by doing so. 
The other way to look at it would be from the standpoint of a believer. If we're a believer, we know Christ is our Savior. But if we're refusing to listen to God when he tells us, we're to share the gospel with others. We're to, uh, to, to share the good news with others. And if we refuse to do that, then we may be causing spiritual death for someone else because we're failing to tell them the very good news that they need to hear. So, so think about that and ask yourself if you are uh, allowing your refusal to hear God, your refusal to listen to God, but potentially cause some type of a spiritual death taking place in either your life or the life of someone else. Maybe think about it like this before I actually kind of get into the message and start reading the verses and, um, and all. Uh, those two scenarios I mentioned a moment ago, let me illustrate it for you in a different way. If you had a terminal disease... And all of a sudden, your doctor guaranteed you that he had the absolute cure that would take care of the terminal disease that you had. Would you listen to the doctor or not? Would you agree to, to take that cure that he's given you? you? You see, we have an absolute cure for our sin guilt. We have an absolute cure through Jesus. And that's a much worse problem than just some type of physical disease we may have. So if you would say, yes, if, if I had a terminal disease, I would listen to the doctor. Then if you don't know Christ as your Savior, maybe consider this morning that you ought to listen to the gospel. Because that's an absolute cure that you need. The other scenario I mentioned, if you already know Christ as your Savior, and yet maybe you're refusing to tell others, let me give you another illustration then. The illustration for us would be this. If you're, you know, you're out somewhere and you see someone in imminent danger, and you have the chance to warn them, and by you warning them, it would spare their life, would you call out to them and warn them? And I think probably most of us would. So why don't we share the gospel with them? We, we need to listen to God. You need to listen to God if you don't know Christ as your Savior. We need to listen to God as believers and be sure that by refusing to listen to God, we're not causing spiritual death somehow for, for others. So as we look at this story today, it's going to involve the Passover. It's going to involve the, uh, uh, the, first, the death of all the firstborn in, in Egypt because they continue to refuse to listen to God. There's some urgent lessons that I think can have a huge impact upon our own lives and the lives of others. Here's the first one. If you're following along in the updates and, and, and taking notes, the first one is, is simply this. There is a final plague. There is a final plague. That's where we're at. Number 10 is final plague in Egypt. But in that final plague, we've got a picture or a type of a final judgment. And both of these occur because people refuse to listen to God. This final plague will happen in Egypt because they continue to refuse to listen to God. And people will face a final judgment in their life if they continue to refuse to listen to God. Now, I'm going to read uh, verse 2, or um, really verse 1 and 2. And then I'm going to bounce down to verse 4 just because we can't deal with everything this morning uh, and cover all the verses. But uh, look with me on the, the screen or in your Bible. Verse 1 of uh, Exodus 11, the Lord said to Moses, yet one plague more I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. And when he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. So it's kind of going to be the last straw that breaks your camel's back. He, he's going to be done with it. He wants them gone after this last plague happens. Jump down to verse 4. So Moses said, thus says the Lord, about midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt. And every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. 
From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on the throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the hand mill, and all the firstborn of the cattle, there should be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been, nor ever will be again. But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. Now, just up front, he's saying that there's going to be a final judgment. He's given a warning that there's a final plague. There's a final judgment that will occur. The message was this to Pharaoh, there's yet one more plague. And while I'm not going to read the verses this morning, after, after Moses delivers this to Pharaoh, if you read through the whole story, you'll, you'll see that, that, that Moses kind of goes out in a fury. He, he's furious because he's had to deliver this message. And I think he's furious with Pharaoh because Moses knows what's about to happen. Everything that God had told Moses was going to happen, happened, right? Now imagine this, you're the one that's been given the message to go tell Pharaoh that the firstborn of everyone in the land of Egypt is going to die. And he's furious because he's thinking, Pharaoh, you should have listened. You should have done something about this before now. And he might be even furious that he's having to deliver such a tragic message. But, but he delivers that, and, and he walks out, he says, there's one more plague that, that's going to happen, and it's going to be a really, really terrible plague when all the firstborn die. Imagine that for a minute. Not just a nation, but imagine just in, in our own county, the outcry that would take place if on any given night, the firstborn of everyone in the county were to die. Can, can you imagine the shock? Can you imagine the outcry that would take place? And here you've got the nation of Egypt having that take place, all the way from Pharaoh's home down to a poor slave girl's home. And even the cattle, uh, would, the firstborn would die. There's going to be this heart-ripping sorrow. There's going to be all through the land. The cry will be greater than it ever taken place. It's what the Bible said. Now, all through this series and all through these plagues, I mentioned to you each week that by the action of God... God is also judging the false gods of the Egyptians. He does it again in this plague. Because in this plague, God is judging a false god that Egypt worshiped called men. And men was a god of reproduction. He's judging a false god by the name of Hegel. And that was a goddess who attended women at childbirth. Isis was the goddess who protected children Pharaoh's firstborn, the next in line, was like a god king himself because they viewed Pharaoh as being a king and they would have viewed his next in line to the throne as though he's a king. So you have all these false gods plus Pharaoh's own son, who's supposed to be the next one in line, who they viewed being a god, being judged by this tragic plague that's taking place. And the same thing that I've mentioned all through this series, all these false gods could not do anything to protect the Egyptians. There were not any benefit whatsoever to them because they were, they were false. And it's as though God kind of makes a, a sport of them through these plagues when they take place. The firstborn of the Hebrews, if you remember all the history here of the, of the Jews being there in bondage, remember there came a time that there was a new Pharaoh that did not know Joseph's God. Do you remember that taking place? And they got scared because the Hebrews were increasing in such fast number. What was his solution? Throw all the boy babies that are born 
into the river. So there was an outcry among the Israelites, but now there's an outcry even larger than that outcry by the Egyptians. Maybe it's a just cause that God gives this type of judgment against them. But Moses is given a warning. He's saying, listen, there's a judgment that's on the way, Pharaoh. And not only is that true for Egypt and what's true for Egypt, when we read the Bible, we also understand that there's a judgment on the way still yet. There will be a time of judgment. There will be a final judgment. And those who continue to refuse to listen to God, to hear the gospel, will experience that judgment. There's going to be a terrible judgment on the way in this world. And that's why it's imperative that we listen to God and tell other people, as we've been told as Christians, that we're supposed to share the gospel. Moses was obedient. Moses went and he told Pharaoh exactly what God told him to say. And you and I need to be obedient. We need to share the gospel with others and tell people exactly what God tells us to say. And see, here's one of the reasons why. In Hebrews 9, 27, the Bible says, And just as is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes what? The judgment. We're warned. There's a passage in the, in the Old Testament. Uh, next slide, please. That, that I think ought to get our attention because it's written to, to, to God's people. Uh, and it says, if, if I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, or speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way in order to save his life, that wicked person shall die for his iniquity. But notice what's said next. And, and, and this ought to be kind of scary to us. But his blood I'll require at your hand. Well, why does he say that? He's saying because you recognize there's someone there in danger of judgment, and you didn't tell them. You, you didn't share with them. But, but if you warn the wicked, he says, and he does not turn from his wickedness or from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you shall be delivered from your soul. Why? Because you told him. You, you shared the truth with him. You, you told him, and you gave him a warning, and then he didn't listen. So as, as believers, we need to hear what God says to us. Moses heard God say, go tell Pharaoh this, and that's exactly what he did. And God has clearly told us in the New Testament that we're supposed to share the gospel, that we're supposed to share the good news, that we're supposed to make, make disciples. And if we refuse to do that, then, then we're allowing people to be put at a great risk because we have failed to tell them because there is a final judgment on the way, just like there's a final plague in Egypt. But I want you to notice there's a distinction, not just a final judgment that's on the way, but there's a distinction that's really clear that's drawn in this passage of Scripture. I read it a moment ago in verse 7. After the warning is given, even before the warning is given, rather, because you see, Moses might have been thinking, man, that's a tough message for me to go deliver. And when that happens, the people are really going to hate us. What are they going to do to us? So God tells Moses this. He's telling more or less, don't worry. He said, but not a dog will growl against any of the people of Israel either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. Amen? See, he's saying there's a distinction. He's letting them know, don't worry about it. Number one, there's going to be this distinction because we'll see in a moment after God gives them a prescription to miss that judgment that takes place that night, applying the blood to the doorposts of their homes. There's going to be a huge distinction because... 
there's going to be the firstborn of everyone in Egypt die, but not the firstborn of the Hebrews because they'll have the blood applied to the doorpost. So that's a pretty huge distinction. But all through these plagues, you remember the distinctions we've talked about? You remember how God set apart his people? How he set apart the Jews in, in Goshen to where they weren't experiencing these other plagues? Remember how the flies were not allowed to go into Goshen? The locusts were not allowed to go into Goshen? The storm, the hail did not fall in Goshen. They didn't have boils upon their bodies in, in Goshen where the Jewish people lived. When, when there was darkness, we saw it last week, when there was darkness all over the land of Egypt, there was light in the homes there of the, of the Hebrews. So God constantly made this distinction. And there's still a distinction in this world. The, the, the world doesn't understand this, and we can't approach it with some type of, of haughty fashion ourselves. But what we need to recognize there is a distinction. If you know Christ as your Savior, there's a distinction. You're different than everybody else. If you know Christ as your Savior, you've been forgiven. If you know Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of you to, to guide you and, and, and to teach you and to, and, and to speak to you and to be there as your, as your comforter. There, there's a huge distinction between someone who knows Christ as their Savior and someone who does not know Christ as their Savior. There, there's a huge distinction because you know Christ as your Savior. You have very access into the throne room of God, not because of who you are, but because of who Jesus is and what he did for you on the cross. You have the blood of Jesus to stand upon and plead before God. And regrettably, there's also going to be this distinction. There's a distinction where people will be saved for all eternity and where people will be condemned for all eternity. That you see in a picture taking place here in, in this distinction. He's saying, don't worry about it. Nothing's going to happen to you. Not even a dog's going to growl against, against you. There's all kinds of ways we could detail the distinction, but the most serious distinction is that there's going to be a day of judgment and God's people will be protected, but the loss will be condemned. So there's a judgment to come. Not fun to talk about, is there? But it's true, it's what the Bible teaches. Is that not right? What the Bible teaches. There is a judgment to come. Thank God, though, there's a way to escape the judgment. Amen? This, this judgment, this plague that happens in Egypt, God made a provision for his people that are there. And God makes a provision for us. You see, there's only one way to escape the final judgment. There's only one way to escape the final judgment. And, and we read about it in these scriptures that's going to be dealing with, with the Passover. There's only one way for it to happen. We're going to be in Exodus 12, 1 through 13, and I'm going to jump down. I'll also read uh, uh, verse number 23 in, in just a moment. But the only way, the only way to escape judgment is this. It's true then, that night in Egypt, and it's true today. The only way... To escape judgment is that the blood must be applied. The blood must be applied. That's the only hope they had. Without the blood being applied to their doorpost, they would not have escaped the judgment that night. Without you and I having the blood of Jesus applied to our lives, we, we don't have a hope to escape the judgment. There's only one way to escape the final judgment. I want you to notice something even before I read the verses. God did not give them multiple ways that night in Egypt. 
He, he didn't say, all right, if you want to put blood on your door, that's one way. And he didn't say, if you want to go out that night and work really hard serving me, that's another way. He, he didn't say that if you want to apply the blood to your doorpost, that that's one way, that everything can be okay. But if you want to just come over here and, and be sincere about whatever you believe, it doesn't matter what you believe, that's still another way to where you'll be protected. You see, he didn't say that, did he? He gave one exclusive way and one way only whereby they could escape the judgment. So let's read about it. The Bible says this. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Now let me stop and just say something there before we keep reading. He's like saying this is going to be a new beginning. This is going to be like a complete change taking place for you. You're going to be set free when I come through and, and this death takes place. But because you have the blood applied, you're going to be set free. And because you're going to be set free, you, you, can, you can have this new beginning. The whole nation of Israel is going to move out and have a completely new beginning. Thank God because of Jesus we can have new beginnings in our lives. Amen. Thank God through trusting in Him and through the blood that He shed on the cross. We have a new beginning. You know, people recognize their birthdays and everything like that. You know what I really love? I really love when people remember the day that they were saved. <laughs> and they're celebrating that birthday because that's really your new beginning. Let's keep reading. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor uh, shall take according to the number of persons, according to what uh, each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. In other words, he's saying, you know, each house needs it. If you're too poor and you can't, join in with your neighbors, is what he's saying. Let's, let's keep reading. Your lamb shall be without blemish, uh, a male a year old. Now, that without blemish, probably most of you know this, but all these sacrifices were a type of who? A type of Jesus. Jesus is without blemish, amen? He was perfectly sinless, a perfect lamb of God. Shall be without blemish, a male year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month. In other words, he's saying inspect it. Be sure there's nothing wrong with it while you have it there. When the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their, their lambs at twilight, then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. He, he's saying that when you kill that lamb, you're supposed to take it and it'll be a plant called, called hyssop and they're to dip it in it and they're to go over to the door. And they're going to paint the door. And I'll say more about that in just a second. Let's keep reading. Um, you jump down, to, uh, jump down to verse number 13. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Amen? Apply that to Jesus. When I see the blood... I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. And then down to verse 23. 
For, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. When he sees the blood on the lintel on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. Very, very specific instructions. Only one way that they would miss the judgment that night. Only one method was given. You take a Passover lamb and you kill the Passover lamb. By the way, most translations, when you read that, has it singular. There were many lambs killed that night, but it's singular when it talks about the Passover lamb. Why? Because they are all a type of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. So they're to kill the lamb, and they're to take that blood from the lamb, and they're to put it on their doorpost. And when God sees the blood applied to the doorpost. He's saying that he would pass over them. Now, here's what most Bible scholars believe. And I'll just give you a prelude. You might be wondering, why is this big canvas over here? And you probably have already figured out by looking at the front that sometime during the morning service, and it'll be at the end of the service, we'll have an extended invitation. We're going to partake of the Lord's Supper. Before we do that, that canvas is going to be transported here. And what I'm going to invite you to do as individuals or as families to come up and there's going to be some red paint available here. And I'm going to invite you to do what they did. The lintel is the top of the door. The doorposts are the sides of the door. And most Bible scholars, most theologians believe this is what it looked like. They painted like this and they painted like that. Which is a shape of what? That makes sense that God would have had them to have done that. So as a reminder, when we get here at the end of the service, as a reminder, before you go and protect the Lord's Supper, we're going to have that canvas here. We're going to invite you to come up and take some red paint and put a cross on it. And then we're going to invite you to protect the Lord's Supper. That's what they did that night. They went up and took the blood and they applied it to the doorpost. And God is saying when he saw the blood, he would pass over them. They would not experience that judgment. And that is a type and a picture for us in this way. When we trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior, when we trust in the finished work of Christ upon the cross, when that is where we place our faith, not in our own goodness because we don't have any. There's none good. No, not one is what the Bible says. We, we don't trust in our own good works because we cannot work our way to heaven. Salvation is not of works because we boast about it. Amen? Those are things the Bible says. Salvation is purely, completely, totally based upon the finished work of Jesus. And when you and I believe in the finished work of Jesus, when we believe in that blood that was shed upon the cross, by faith, the blood is applied to our lives. And God doesn't see us, he sees his son. He sees the very righteousness of his son. And because the blood has been applied to our lives, when a time of judgment comes, we will be spared from that judgment, not because of who we are, but because of who he is and what he did. Amen? That uh, lintel that we're talking about, it, it was just kind of a, a shrub, so not the best paintbrush in the world, you know? It would have been a little bit flimsy when they were applying the blood. But you know that's okay because here's why. The salvation that they experienced that night wasn't because of the power of the lentil. It was because of the power of the blood. And you and I, by our faith, we may feel like our faith is flimsy sometimes like that lentil. And we need to have as strong a faith as we can develop, as God can give us. 
But when you feel like your faith is flimsy, hey, can I tell you something? It's okay. Everybody's faith is flimsy to a certain degree. Amen. Your salvation is not based upon your faith. It's based on the blood. Amen. It's based on the blood having been applied to your life. So there's only one way to escape the judgment. The blood must be applied. But I want you to notice something else about this as we continue on in, in, uh, in Exodus 12. We're going to look at 8 through 10, verse 8 through 10. And that is another thought. The, the blood has to be applied. In other words, when the blood is applied, you've escaped judgment. But as you escape judgment, we need to do something. As we are escaping judgment, we need to be fully feeding upon the lamb. Look what's said in verse 8 through 10 of Exodus 12. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted its head and its legs and its inner parts. And, and you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning, you shall burn. Now, that's something that they carried on in their practice of the Passover later, in their celebration of the Passover. But there's some important pictures there, some important typical lessons for us to learn. Now, not only did they kill the Passover lamb, but they fed upon the Passover lamb. And as they gathered together that night, they would feed upon it. It was roasted in fire, which most of the time the Bible in the Bible in the Bible when it talks about fire, it gives us a picture of either holiness or judgment. So I think here you've got a picture of judgment taking place as this lamb is roasted in the fire. It's served with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. The, the complete Passover lamb was roasted whole. Because had they dissected it, they would have taken parts of the body apart and parts of the bones might have been broken. So they're instructed to roast it whole instead of dividing it or breaking it or cutting it in cinder in any way whatsoever. In this, what we have is a picture, I think, of this. It's a picture of you and I as believers who have had the blood applied to our lives. And because we've had the blood applied to our lives, we feed upon what Christ has done for us. We feed upon the Lamb of God. We feed upon Him, His divine person. We feed upon all that He's done for us. It's not a thing to where all oh, the blood's applied, you know, and I'll just kind of live my life however I want to live my life until one day I die and go to heaven. No, it's a scenario that should be like this. Because the blood has been applied, we need to be constantly feeding upon the Lamb. We need to be constantly feeding upon Jesus. We need to be feeding upon all that he's done for us and how he has blessed us by dying on the cross for our sins. Jesus faced our fire. He faced our judgment. It was bitterness, the sin that he took upon himself that was our sin. And yet he took it upon himself in bitterness. That's pictured in these bitter herbs that's mentioned here. Jesus was crucified as a whole body. And the Bible tells us that not a bone was broken. We don't have time to read all these verses this morning. But in Psalm 34 and verse 20, Psalm 19, verse 32 through 37, it, it tells us that, that in, in the Psalms it gives a prophecy that not a bone would be broken of Jesus. And then we read about it at the crucifixion scene that not a bone was broken of Jesus. And that's why the Passover lamb was not allowed to be dissected in any way and the bones broken apart because it was a picture and a type of Jesus. We, we need to feed upon the lamb. We need to feed upon all that Christ has done for us. As believers, we ought to spiritually feed upon what Jesus has done. We're to fully feed upon him. 
Now, now think about it in literal terms for a moment. What are they getting ready to do the next day? They're getting ready to leave out and go out into the wilderness. So not only do they have this blood to apply to their doors, but God is also through this Passover lamb providing sustenance for them before they go out into the wilderness. Does that make sense to you? We live in a wilderness world, people. We live in a world that is diametrically opposed to to Christianity and the Christian faith for the most part. And when we get ready to go out into this world, we need to be prepared to go out in this world by feeding upon the Lamb. We need to be prepared to go out into the wilderness of this world by us feeding upon all that Christ has done for us. In the Passover lamb, by the way, did you notice what they were told? They were told, don't keep any of it the next day. After you fed upon it, the next day comes, don't try and preserve it, don't try and hold on to it, burn all of it up. Here's why God told them that. Because that Passover lamb pictures something so special, it wasn't to be viewed as common food. It was to be viewed as something very, very special because it was a type and a picture of Jesus Christ. I want you to get that in your mind even before we get to the point in just a minute where we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper together. I I know it's easy for us to get in our mind, well, you know, that's just a a little wafer on top of that under the cellophane, and and that's just some grape juice underneath that. And, And that's... Is what it is, but it's a picture of things. In other words, I, some some denominations teach that it actually changes to the blood of Jesus and the body of Jesus when a priest blesses it. Uh, Bible doesn't teach that at all that that happens. Jesus said we're to do this in remembrance of Him, right? It's a picture or a type of His body. It's a picture or a type of His blood. It's not something commonplace. It's something that ought to be special for us, just like. They were told to, to burn up all the rest of that, that Passover lamb. It wasn't to be kept over later and just be like, well, I'm hungry today. Just have some, some more of that Passover lamb. Not like leftover turkey farce with Thanksgiving coming around. It was so special they were to eat all that they could, and then they were to burn it and do away with it. And, and that gives us a picture of how special what Jesus has done for us should be to, for us. One other thing before we move on and talk about this celebration that we're going to participate in in just a minute. And, and that is this that we can draw from this story. Because we have escaped judgment. We escape judgment by having the blood applied. Because the blood has been applied to our lives, we all have a desire to feed upon what Christ has done for us. But because you, because you have escaped judgment, you need to be ready to follow God. Wherever He leads, whatever He tells you to do. Look what's said in verse number 11. In this manner you shall eat it. With your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. So here's what he's saying. You're getting ready to go free. Pharaoh's getting ready to send you out of here. And because of that, as you partake of the Passover lamb on this night when death is coming through all of Egypt and the blood has been applied and you're feeding upon the lamb, as you're feeding upon it, you need to be ready to be on the move for me. You need to be ready when it's time to go. 
You don't need to have to take time to get dressed and put your shoes on. You need to be ready to go. You need to have your belt on, your sandals on. You need to have your staff in your hand. You're ready to move. You're ready to walk. You're ready to take a journey. That's the picture that's being given here. See, here's how that ought to apply to us as believers. Because the blood has been applied to your life. You ought to be willing to follow God and go wherever he wants you to go. Because the blood has been applied to your life. Because you know Christ is your personal Savior. Because you have fed upon his Passover lamb. You need to be in a state of readiness, in a state of preparation to move whenever God says to move. That's how sensitive we need to be to his Holy Spirit. I'm not talking about all of us gathering up, although God may tell us to do it. Gather up and let's go on a journey somewhere, you know. Let's go out in the wilderness. Let's go on this big journey. Although we are going to kind of do that in a couple of weeks. Uh, on Saturday, while I'm thinking about it, I'll just put a plug in the middle of the sermon. You've heard me talk about pocket of lostness number 84. And where I work on a contract basis also with the Baptist State Convention of North Carolina. And they've identified the top 100 pockets of lostness in the state. Number 84 is in our back door here in Granite Falls. Uh, on Saturday, November the 5th, all the churches inside this pocket of lostness, we're going to meet at, uh, at Clover Baptist Church. We're going to meet at 830 that morning. Uh, Glenn Walker from Mount Zion Baptist Church is going to do some training about how to do a prayer walk for about 45 minutes or so. And then we're going to go out into our community and we're going to prayer walk. We're going to go and walk through this community and we're going to pray for people. We're going to look for things and, and be sensitive as we're there and see maybe how we can, can reach people. I'm not talking about going up and knocking on their door and, uh, and trying to land blast them with the gospel right then. If God definitely leads you to do that, that's fine to do so. But I'm talking about us walking through and praying over all the houses in a neighborhood, all the houses on the street. And as you do so, you're sensitive. You learn some things while you're there. You can learn some things by looking at a house, the type of people live there. Maybe some needs that they might have. If the yard looks like it's not been mowed in a month or whatever. But anyway, we're going to go out and prayer walk. So to a certain degree, I am saying, hey, we're getting ready to go somewhere on that Saturday. We're getting ready to go out and walk out here in, in our development. But that's not necessarily the reason I, I want to bring this point up in this message. It was simply God told his people, be ready to move. Be ready to move. Be ready to be on the go. And if you know Christ as your Savior, you need to be ready to be on the move. You need to be ready to go. You need to be ready to do whatever he calls you to do. If he tells you to walk across uh, the, the aisle uh, in a store and tell somebody about Jesus, if he tells you to tell someone that you're working beside of at work about Jesus, whatever he tells you to do, you need to be ready. If he calls you to be a missionary, to go upon the far parts of this world, you need to be ready. You, you need to have your belt on, your sandals on, your staff, and say, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to do whatever it is that God calls me to do. And we have a picture of that taking place here in, in, in this story. By the way, it wasn't an easy task. I think sometimes we, we don't get a good concept of what it looked like when the, uh, when the Israelites left out from Egypt. If we will read in the Bible, we'll discover that there were about 600,000 men. <laughs> 600,000 men there are a little bit there's a little bit less than a hundred thousand people in Caldwell County if you want a picture of that six hundred thousand men plus women and children and most Bible scholars have given an estimate for years and years that it was two million plus people 
bunch of people. Amen. That's like everybody from Charlotte Mecklenburg getting up to move at one time somewhere. Imagine all the number of Passover lambs that had to be killed that night. And even though there were that many people, the Passover lamb was sufficient. Amen. And thank God the Passover lamb, Jesus Christ, God's Passover lamb, is sufficient for us. Amen. No matter how many, what he did on the cross is sufficient for us. But imagine the the task of that many people moving and going across the wilderness. Sound like it was a very daunting task, and yet they did it. What I shared with you a moment ago, you might be thinking, oh, you mean we've got to come down here that Saturday and we've got to walk around and do a prayer walk up here? I mean, there's just a, there's going to be a lot involved in having to do that. Not as much as two million people going across the desert. I'm just saying whatever God calls us to do, we need to be ready to do. Amen. Whatever he calls us to do, we need to be prepared and ready to do. Why? Because the blood's been applied to our lives, because we're feeding upon what he did for us on the cross, and and we need to be ready and prepared to do whatever he calls us to do. Third main thing this morning I want you to get is this. The redemptive act of God is always to be remembered and celebrated. The redemptive act of God is always to be remembered and celebrated. Look at verse 24 through 28. You shall observe this rite as a statute for you and your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. Now, he's saying, keep doing this. Keep doing the Passover. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? In other words, they were supposed to practice it consistently enough to where the children would be asking, what does this mean? Why are we doing this? You shall say it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel and Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshiped. Then the people of Israel went and did as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. So they did. God's simply saying, hey, what happens tonight On this Passover, I want you to always remember what I did for you. I want you to always remember the Passover lamb that was killed. I want you to always remember the blood being applied. I want you to always celebrate it throughout your days together. And what is true of the Passover is true for us as Christians. Because Jesus is our Passover lamb. And Jesus shed his blood on the cross. And when by faith you have trusted Christ as your Savior, the blood has been applied. We should never, ever get over it. We should never, ever forget it. And one means we have as believers to remind us of what he has done is participate in the Lord's Supper. To remember his body being nailed to a cross. To remember his blood being shed. That through faith in him we can have everlasting life. I'm going to ask our volunteers to come and be getting the canvas in place. But as they do so, I want you to look through the screen because I'm going to give you some other instructions based upon what was said in the Passover that to me is really similar to what we're told about the Lord's Supper 
also. Look on the screen at these verses. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, This is the statute of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat of it. You see that? In a similar way, the Lord's Supper is something that's only available for believers. It's only for those of you who know Christ as your Savior. No foreigner or hired servant shall eat of it. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. So another thought there is this, and, and I, want you to, uh, I want you to really think about, uh, really think about that. Um, we may need to move this down a little bit more, the canvas where it's kind of the center here too for people to walk through. But I want you to think about it. He said, all the congregation of Israel shall keep it. In other words, everyone, all of the Hebrews that night were supposed to partake of it. And all of them were supposed to always partake of it to commemorate what God had done. Now, the reason I want to point that out to you is this. I run into this all through the years I've been in the ministry. Sometimes people will think, well, yeah, I know I'm a Christian. I know I'm on the way to heaven, but I just don't feel like I'm worthy to partake of the Lord's Supper. Well, I got news for you. You're not worthy. Neither am I. None of us are worthy. To protect the Lord. But we can partake of it in a worthy fashion. Just as there is an expectation upon the, the Jews for all of them to protect the Passover, God has an expectation upon us as believers that all of us ought to partake of the Lord's Supper. If you know Christ as your Savior. That, that's the distinctive. If you know Christ as, as your Savior. If a stranger shall sojourn with you and, and we keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised. Then he may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native to the Lord, but no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. You see, this is something they're just saying is really special. It's really for God's people. And on that very day, the Lord brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their host. By faith, God has brought you out of your sin. By faith, God has brought you out of your bondage. And if you know Christ as your Savior, we invite you to come up and take some of this red paint that uh, Brandy has here at the front. And uh, you can do it as a family, or if each person wants to do this, fine. Just make a cross and then move from there to... Uh, to partake in the Lord's Supper. We've got the disposable cups. Right underneath is the wafer. Under the, the, the cellophane. And under the foil is the juice. We're not going to guide you in it. We're not going to do it in unison. We want you to do it as family and friends. So if you have someone around you that's a friend. Maybe they don't have family with them. Bring them up with you. And, and come up and paint your cross. Remembering what he did for you. Commemorating what he did for you. Celebrating what he did for you. The Passover that you have in your life because the blood's been applied. And then come over and pick up your cup and then move back to your seat or go kneel somewhere, however you want to do it. The Bible said they, they bowed and they worshiped before God. So maybe worship before God with your family, with the people that you partake of this with. And then we'll close the service in a minute. Please don't leave. Don't be causing any commotion or anything during this time. Let's pray. Father, 
We thank you for the great Passover that you've given through your Passover lamb, the ultimate Passover lamb, Jesus Christ. Father, I pray during this time, if there's someone here that doesn't know Christ as their Savior, that you'll speak to their heart and show them their need to receive Christ. And Father, for those of us that do, help us to celebrate and remember the great Passover we have. You passed over us because of the blood of your Son. We don't have to worry about a day of judgment. You have bought us, you've purchased us, and we belong to you. Prepare us as we go out into the wilderness of this world, as we remember what you did for us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I invite you please to come. If you don't know Christ as your Savior and you'd like to talk to someone about it, I'll be here at the front. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church. Experience a new day in your life.